Good morning. It's good to be back. A few people have said, welcome home. As you can see, home is Texarkana, Texas. Sorry, y'all. But it is good to be back home in a sense. It is good to be back at Lord of Life. It's good to be able to share with you on this uh, Memorial Day weekend. I want to thank Pastor Phil, first of all, for allowing me to jam two sermons and a confirmation, two confirmations in between the two weddings I'm doing here in town this weekend. We had one wonderful wedding here at the church yesterday afternoon. I have one more in Mokina this afternoon before we head home to Texas, right, Nance? Back to Texas. I want to bear greetings to you today from our church in Texarkana, First Lutheran Church. They uh, are, will pray for you. We pray for you all the time. I hope you pray for us down there. God has blessed our work at First Lutheran Church. Each and every day, God seems to reconfirm that this was his plan for us. Uh, just to give you a little bit of background, when we came to First Lutheran, they were worshiping about 80 or 90 people. And uh, on Easter this year, we had about 200. Our worship attendance is up to about 150. God is blessing it in a wide variety of ways. Nancy is as active as always, has four women's Bible classes that meet in our house regularly. Uh, they love her, even as so many of you loved her when she was here doing the same. Uh, she was so moved by our trip to Angola for, sell or for returning hearts that she came home and she prayed about it. And she said, I'd like to head up Vacation Bible School this summer. I reluctantly gave her God's blessing, <laughs> but I'm, I'm glad she did. And as she poured over the many different VBSs to do, she chose one in, from Answers in Genesis, Creationism. I told our elders, this year it's not Vacation Bible School, this year is Vacation Bible School. And when she told me that, I said, you know, you really ought to invite Matt Gain to come and teach our adult classes in the evening. And she thought about that overnight, and the next morning she emailed Matt, and Matt said, I would love to. And so in July, Matt and Carrie and the two girls will spend two weeks with us. Or, oh, that's scary. One week with us. <laughs> and uh, Carrie will help teach in BBS, and the two girls will be in BBS, and Matt is going to be doing... Our, our adult studies in the evening on creationism. Well, that's a little bit of an introduction. Let's pray. Father, as we gather here today, we are one nation under God. And I pray that we never forget that, that it is under you. We are never over you. And we pray that we are one nation that understands the role of Christianity in its government. Lord, I just pray for our words today and the words that have been read. In Jesus' name. Amen. I will tell you first and foremost that I love America. It is one nation under God. I make no apologies whatsoever for this necktie or how I feel about America. I enjoy America's freedoms and I wholeheartedly support the men and women of our armed forces who have fought so hard so that we would have our freedoms and who today still defend those freedoms whether they are here in America or spread all the way around the world. And I'm going to be brutally honest with you. I have very little use. I have very little tolerance for people who don't feel the same way. So you kind of know where I'm starting from. I just love America. 
And as a Christ follower, I also feel that we should be actively involved as Bible-believing, blood-bought children of God, willing to stand up and fight for those same freedoms that have been won for us, particularly that freedom to gather, to worship as we please, where we please, however we please. And yet I know that there's a growing number of Americans today who think that the church ought not to have any involvement in the government. And as near as I can tell, it's probably one of four or five different reasons. One reason is that we're kind of afraid that we might be guilty of promoting social gospel, that we'd be so involved in our government and what's going on in America that we would forget what we were called to do. But I don't think that's true because... We, we need to keep our focus on the preaching of the good news of Jesus Christ. We need to be centered on God's Word. We need to be, remain focused on that laser beam purpose that God has called us all to, and that is spreading the good news of Jesus Christ here, there, and around the world. But let's not forget that our involvement in government is part of what God asked to do. We heard that just recently in Romans 13. There is another reason that we kind of back off, and that's because many people in America have kind of got, given up hope in their government. Now, if you pay attention to what people say about our government, you hear the same things I do, like, it's too late for America, we're on a downhill run in America, we're past the point of return in America, we're going to end up like all the other countries in this world, all that remains is for God to judge us, and it's going to be the end of America. I have to admit, I kind of understand where people are coming from. And I would even agree that we are heading towards a judgment of God if we don't repent, if we don't come back to God, if we don't get serious about what God has called us to do and be involved in all aspects of our society. But I'm not ready to give up on America. I look at my two children and I say, I want God to bless this land and have them to enjoy the freedoms I have. I look at our grandson, Josh, who, by the way, is 20 years old now, if you can believe that, and I say, I want him to live in a God-blessed land where he's free to worship as well. I look at the words of Romans 13, and I say, I will not give up on America. There is hope, but there's an if attached, and it's if we do what God asks us to do. Now, on the National Day of Prayer, we often bring this Bible passage out from 2 Chronicles. It was given to a different group of people at a different point in time in history, but I think it's still very applicable to us today. If my people, that's children of God, if my people who are called by my name, Christians, Christians, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and heal their land. I don't know if you all have ever read the book of Judges. It's kind of an interesting book. It runs in cycles. Sin, judgment, grace. Sin, judgment, grace. Sin, judgment, grace. I don't know, there are 10 or 12 or 13 cycles of that. But what you find out is that God is far more interested in forgiveness and showing grace than he is in judgment. But there's that if again. If my people will come and they will humble themselves. I don't know about you, but I've been moved twice today in this service. Actually, it's now four times. I have wept during Letters from War twice today. Thanks, Phil, for picking that one out. 
I have been moved as I listened to Billy share his testimony openly and honestly. It's a great example of somebody who is going to come and humble himself, not just before God's people, but humble himself before the Lord and trust in him and trust not just in the grace and mercy of God, which is most important, but to trust in the grace and mercy of those people who call themselves Christians. I think there's a third reason that a lot of people back off from government today and we view politics as dirty. We say it's beneath us as Christians to get ourselves involved in it or all politicians are crooks and I guess I should tell you we were made fun of down in Texas when Blagojevich lost his job in office and I said hey it's the fourth one I know of since I lived there. Well we sometimes get cynical that all politicians are crooks or our citizenship is in heaven, we say kind of pietistically. Or all we're voting on is the lesser of two evils. And again, I kind of understand where people are coming from. People are tired of scandals. People are sick and tired of watching war words between Fox News and CNN and MSNB, CBS or whatever it's all called, all of that kind of stuff. We get tired of looking at our newspapers, which look less like newspapers and more like tabloids every day. But then I've got to back away and I've got to remind myself, I'm a Christ follower. I have been called to be what? Bold and courageous, to take a stand. I, I, I back up and I say, is my God sovereign or is my God not sovereign? He is sovereign. That just means... He's ultimately in control. I don't care whether we elect a good, bad, or ugly president. God is still in control. I don't care what armies are marching in this world. God is ultimately in control. There's a fourth reason we sometimes back off. and It's, it's because as Christians we've somehow been intimidated. I think the ACLU has talked so much about separation of church and state that we've actually bought into it. Now, I used to be a U.S. history uh, teacher in high school. And just in case you don't know it, the phrase separation of church and state is not found in our Constitution. It is, however, found in Karl Marx's Communist Manifesto. That might surprise you. So where did this separation of church and state come from? It came from the framer of our Constitution, the third president of the United States of America, Thomas Jefferson, who was speaking to a bunch of Baptists. We got Baptists by the handful in Texas. But he was talking to the Danbury Baptist Association, and he assured them that he would do everything in framing the Constitution to keep the government out of the church, but not the church out of the government. He was saying, never again will you have to worry about what happened back in England where the, where the government was going to ultimately tell you, what church to belong to, what you had to believe, and on and on. He said, you are going to be free to do it. You check it out. Read the First Amendment that says, Congress shall make no law respecting the establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. Now, if there is such a thing as separation of church and state in America, friends, it's a one-way street. Government stays out of the church. The church does not stay out of the government. And yet there are some people who rewrite history and say, oh, no, 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 they, they really wanted to keep separate. Well, I want you to think about some of these things, some lessons from history. 
you answer this question. Our first president of the United States, George Washington, took the oath of office and put his hand on what? The Bible. Anybody know what George Washington's first official act was? He kissed the Bible, and then they held a two-hour-long praise and worship session in Congress. How did Congress decide they were going to open all of their sessions? In prayer. Who was going to lead those prayers? Pastors uh, or, or chaplains. How do you pay for pastors and chaplains? You use tax dollars. Now, does that sound like they wanted to keep God out of government? And by the way, why is it that little kids can't start their day with prayer, but the big kids in Washington can? I don't, that's kind of a side argument. I, I've researched all kinds of history. I'm not going to give you a long history lesson. Just get, let me give you a few things. Eleven of the first American colonies required that you actually had to be a Christian in order to run for office. Don't know whether that's a good idea or not, but it made sense then. In 1777, the Continental Congress voted to stimulate the economy with $300,000. You know how they stimulated it? They bought Bibles to distribute across our land. The Gettysburg Address, this nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom. 94% of all of the writings of our founding fathers talk about the Bible. On the very first Thanksgiving, who do you think they thanked? They thanked God. The Liberty Bell has got part of Leviticus 25.20 on it. In fact, uh, the image of the law of Moses carrying the tablets of the Ten Commandments faces Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi every time she stands in front of the House. The entering president puts his hand on the Bible and concludes with these words, So help me God. And in President Obama's case, he did it twice to become president. You can go on and on to see the influence of the Bible, Christianity, if you will, of God. Abraham Lincoln talked so much about it, you could write volumes about it. Teddy Roosevelt did it. We're coming up on celebrations of the D-Day invasion. Franklin Roosevelt, some of you that are old enough to remember that, I don't. I wasn't born yet. It was June 6, 1944. Let me read you his prayer in a national radio broadcast. Almighty God, with thy blessing, we shall prevail upon the unholy forces of our enemy. Help us to conquer the apostles of greed and racial arrogance. Lead us to the saving of our country. Thy will be done, Almighty God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Even President Reagan, if we ever forget that we are one nation under God, we will be one nation gone under. Or one of our favorites down in Texas, former President George Bush. How soon we forget his words three days after 9-11. Let me refresh your memory. On this National Day of Prayer and Remembrance, we ask Almighty God to watch over our nation and grant us patience and resolve in all that is to come. We pray that he will comfort and console those who now walk in sorrow. We thank him for each life we now must mourn and the promise of a life to come. As we've been assured, neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come, neither height nor depth nor things to come uh, will separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. May he bless the souls of the departed, may he comfort his own, and may he always guide our country. Now as we stand here today, Memorial Day, the question really is not should a Christian be involved in the workings of their country. 
I think the question is, can you be a Christian that you are commanded to be and not somehow be involved? I want to share with you very quickly from our text five things that all of us are Christians are called on to do, and not just on Memorial Day, not just on the 4th of July. One of these, this is the most painful one, I'm going to start with this one, it's called pay for the government. I know that's a painful one. I mean, some Christians, I even heard some, I hate to say dopey guy, but he was a dopey guy on the radio, a pastor not long ago, who said that the government is a pagan organization, a pagan government, therefore we should not pay our taxes. And I'm thinking, what was the government in Jesus' day when Jesus said, render under who? Caesar. That was not a God-oriented government. Now, some people say, well, the government, uh, the taxes are unfair. And, yeah, okay, maybe. You don't like to pay taxes. We don't have state income tax in Texas. You all come. Uh, Some people say, well, they take our money and they spend it unwisely. And I go, yeah, I can kind of agree with that. Yeah, we probably need tax reform. Who knows? But the question is, friends, do you or do you not accept what was written in the book of Romans in chapter 13. You know, do, you, do you accept it or not when Jesus says, render unto Caesar? Here's another one. This is really a no-brainer. And this is to pray for our country, our government. This ought to be our primary task. In fact, if you look at 2, Corinthians, or 2 Timothy, he says, I exhort therefore that first of all, he says, supplications, prayers, intercessions, giving of thanks be made for all men. And then he says, for kings and all that are in authority, that we might lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. Now, do you get this? It says that if you do this prayer thing, your life will be better. Those of you that were raised Lutheran, like I I am, I actually took a test. Somebody sent it to me recently, how Lutheran are you? And it said that I actually knew more than a Lutheran pastor that I was somewhere between Martin Luther and Martin Chemnitz. I'm not sure what that means. Nothing, really. But we had to memorize the entire catechism. You girls got off easy. We had to memorize the entire catechism, questions and answers in Greek, German, Hebrew, Latin. You know, it was terrible back then. I remember the fourth commandment. Molly, you should remember this. It says, You shall honor your father and mother, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. Where's Lauren? You remember that too. And see, God has some wonderful promises if we do something. Now, let, let me tell you, what should we pray about? We need to pray for revival in this country. We need to pray for our leaders, we, whether they're elected or appointed. We need to pray for that war on terror. We need to pray even for our enemies. I was at a conference recently where they said that the the largest religious movement in the state of Texas now is the Muslim religion. And a few of the pastors are kind of going, oh no, we're now, the end has come to our great state too. And, And I stood up and I said, what a great opportunity. I mean, it's as if God says, you guys won't go there, let me bring them over here. Pray for our enemies. Pray for a revival of doing good. I, I, what, what was read this morning, verse 4, talks about capital punishment. Not a very popular thing to talk about. But sometimes the government, to restrain evil, takes life. And I know some people say, well, it's not really a deterrent. I think the reason we don't know whether it's a deterrent or not is because we never carry it out swiftly or consistently. We also need to pray in this country for a revival of the sanctity of life. 
You know, Supreme Court justices are like me, getting older all the, every day. Sooner or later, they're going to be replaced. I like to see them replaced with people who believe that life begins at conception, that life ends when God chooses to call us home. And those of us who call ourselves Christians know that life doesn't really end for a believer. We take our last breath here on earth, and our next breath we take in heaven. God is the author and finisher. Not the government, not the clinic, no one else. That's why we need to vote our consciences and not vote the economy. We vote our consciences and our biblical principles and not our bipartisan politics. We need to pray like there is no tomorrow that God bring back common sense in America, biblical common sense. We also need to praise our government. The third thing we need to do. In spite of the problems here in America, it is still the greatest nation in the earth. I mean, I'd be a person who would speak in favor of good old-fashioned patriotism. Raised as a small boy in Nebraska, Memorial Day weekend, my grandpa and I'd go downtown with our new bib overalls on. And they would be selling Buddy Poppies, and some of you remember Buddy Poppies. And we would take those Buddy Poppies, and we'd make a donation, we'd put them on our, our overhauls. And the first time I did that, I asked my grandpa, why are we doing this? And he says, because it's the American thing to do. I have stood many times riding ferries across the harbor of Hong Kong, seeing naval vessels in port and the flag waving in the breeze and standing there to salute that flag. I'm a person who will knock the hat off your head if you have it on during the singing of the national anthem. I'm a person who will put my hand over my heart and even sing amen at the end of God Bless America or the Star Spangled Banner. We need to praise that group of people. Give them honor. I was wondering the other day if all those people who blog, Lori, I know you blog, I blog, Pastor Phil blogs. I wondered if, Gene, I know you blog, you got two of them. I wonder if everybody who blogs and everybody who Facebooks, and I know many of you here are on a Facebook, or if every one of you who text messages, and every one of, I don't do that, and everybody who tweets and Twitters, I draw the line at that nobody in the world is interested in what I do from minute to minute. I wondered to myself, what if all those people who blog or Facebook or text or tweet or Twitter or whatever you're doing, chirp and cheap, would spend as much time praying and praising our country and our government and its leaders, how much better off we would be. We also need to learn to participate, too. It's kind of inconceivable to me that God would ordain government and then say, oh, by the way, keep out of it. Friends, I think it's our duty to be informed and to vote. Again, our consciences, our biblical principles. I'd say shame on any Christian who would pledge allegiance to the flag and not take some sort of action to stand up for what's right. I'd say shame on any Christian who pledges their allegiance to a political party instead of their biblical God-given principles, principles on which this nation was founded. We need to persuade our government. We live in a republic form of government. It means public policy is changed by public opinion, and I know of only one way to change public opinion in America, 
It has nothing to do with billboards. It has nothing to do with the radio. It has nothing to do with TV. It has nothing to do with Internet. It's right here in my hand, and I know you all got one too. It's going to come as we get the Word of God into the hearts of the people, not just in America, but all the way around the world. We've got two of the Russellia girls here today. And many of you have met uh, Dr. and Mrs. Russellia over the years, and Lord of Life still supports that ministry. They know as well as I do that the way to change India is to bring the Word of God to that country as well. People in this room have been changed by having God come into their lives. Libby, I remember your testimony a few years ago about what a difference it made when this and Jesus became real. I have watched with great interest the testimonies of Ed and Carolyn Albers and other people during your last sermon series and seen what has happened when people get into this book and Jesus gets into their life. People have made brand new changes and decisions based on new information. And as the Word of God and Jesus gets into their life, guess what? People begin to change their mind about sex outside of marriage. They change their mind about drugs and alcohol. They change their mind about slander and lying and gossiping and filthy language and the way they dress and the way they think. Friends, the best thing you can do this Memorial Day weekend is not the fireworks. It's not the patriotic songs, but it is to witness to the love and grace and mercy and the forgiveness that was won for us by God's only Son, Jesus. Salute the flag. No kidding. Bow before the cross. You betcha. Or as they say in Texas, you gotta win them, wet them, and wean them for Jesus. And if you didn't get that, I'll explain it later. Win them, wet them, and wean them. So I just want to encourage you to join with me and so many other people across America, across this great land, to build churches and families and individuals that will stand as great lights for Jesus in the dark and dying world. I said it at this early service, I'm going to say it again, and that's how proud I am of Pastor Phil. I have known him since he was just a pup, and in some ways he's still a pup to me. But I could not be more proud of him as a pastor, and, and I know that he is going to do for you what I've been talking about, which is building this church up and building you up and building your families to be those great and shining lights for Jesus. See, ultimately, the hope for America is not found in the White House. It is not found in the State House. It is not found in the courthouse, but it is found in God's house. It is found in your house. It is found in my house. That's why I say, God bless America, one nation under God.